Please pray with me. God, many of us come to you after a very wild week. Some of us are tired. Some of us are sad or angry about what has happened in our covenant denomination. Some of us are just simply seeking you this morning. So would you, our good God, meet with us this morning as we gather around your word and as we worship. May the words that I speak be pleasing to you and be good for people here. And if they are not helpful and not good and not of you, please help us simply forget them. We love you, God, and we need you. And we pray these things in the name of our creator, redeemer, and spirit among us. Amen. Uh, And for those of you who missed the announcement at the beginning of the service today that Pastor Steve gave, uh, that announcement will be sent out in the FYI as well as on the table next week before worship. And you can hear a little bit more about what has been happening in our denomination this week. And I'll talk a little bit about that in my sermon too. So I have never been one to leave a party in a timely manner. I blame this on my parents, actually. Growing up, we would stick around every church function until even the pastor left and locked all the doors. My parents would still be talking with their church friends, and I would be running wildly around the church finding all sorts of trouble to get into. And I do mean trouble. My sister and I on Sunday mornings would evade the Sunday school and child care volunteers and play hide-and-seek in every room that we could find that was unlocked. Kids who are still in this service don't get any ideas. We have great Sunday school teachers here. Uh, Once my sister and I and another friend, who's actually now a covenant pastor and will remain nameless, we, we decided, we were playing around the church without supervision, we decided to go outside, and while playing tetherball, I don't even know how we did this, while we were playing tetherball, one of the tetherball poles uh, ran into the car of another church member. And on the surface, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but those tetherball poles are giant tires with me- a metal pole cemented into them. And this was not great uh, for the car and also certainly did nothing for my parents' insurance. But despite my sister and my shenanigans, my parents still stayed everywhere, at church, at the midnight Christmas Eve services, at parties, at neighborhood gatherings, and they stayed until the bitter end. And I do this too. I don't want to miss out on anything. I love life. I love people. I feel greedy about that, I guess. (laughs) I'm a flaming extrovert. I have major fear of missing out when I see people are hanging out without me, even if my friends remind me that I don't need to be invited to everything. (laughs) I want to be in on everything. I want to stay until the end. I want to know the whole story, and I don't leave the wedding until the DJ has shut off the music. I will not miss out. And I think the prophet Elijah in our text this morning, he might relate just a little bit. The text this morning was probably written by someone who was highly educated and who was serving in the court of the king, and this someone writes the comings and goings of this prophet Elijah probably somewhere between the years of 860 and 840 B.C. And now this anonymous author was either either writing down these events of the hero prophet secretively or was writing them down after getting kicked out of serving in the king's court because the king and others ruling didn't like this prophet, Elijah, very much. They wouldn't have liked one of their servants or advisors writing about Elijah as if he were a hero. 
Elijah was called by God to speak against the king and tell him to come back to God. Elijah was called to tell the nation of Israel that God longed for them to come back. And those in power, often true, we know, don't like criticism. They pushed Elijah out and hunted him down to kill him. And Elijah lived a wild and dangerous life, speaking truth to power and calling Israel back to the God that loved them so much. And like the fiery and stormy existence that this prophet lived, we learn in our text this morning that Elijah would die in rather poetically the same way, in a fiery and stormy way. Our text begins with this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. And I don't know about you, but this is news to me. God takes people up to heaven in whirlwinds and they don't experience death. Sign me up. I volunteer as tribute. But while this is news to me, it doesn't seem like it's news to Elijah or Elisha or the other people that they encounter along the way. It seems to be something everyone knows, and they take it in stride. And Elijah, apparently not one to leave the party early, is still listening to God's call and is still going to Bethel, to Jericho and to the Jordan. He's traveling and prophesying even though that he knows his time is almost up. But though maybe he knows the end is near. I keep thinking, I kept thinking while reading this story this week and last, that it seems like Elijah doesn't want to admit this truth to himself, that he's about to be taken up to heaven on a whirlwind. He seems to be having a hard time letting go and accepting that he is about to be taken to heaven. Elijah has heard from God that Elisha, his companion, and other prophet with him was to be his successor, the next prophet to help bring God's people back to God's self. And Elisha's traveled with him and learned from him. But each time Elijah decides to go somewhere, each time the Lord calls him somewhere, tells him, go to this place and prophesy in this place, Elijah tells his apprentice Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. He says, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. He says, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He says it three times, telling Elisha not to follow him in his ministry. And perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps I don't know. But to me, it looks like Elijah attempts to keep his ministry in his own hands for just a little while longer to not train this person who's coming after him, to keep the power of being a prophet of God, no matter what it has cost him for just a little longer, to stay at the party a little longer. Seems to me that he didn't want to let his ministry, his prophetic voice, be quiet for a moment and let Elisha, who's ordained by God for this task, to step up to the microphone. It seems like the end of the party was nigh, but Elijah was still on the dance floor doing a few moves after the songs had ended and the DJ had packed up and left. But I think we can give our prophet Elijah some grace, perhaps. It can be easy to get wrapped up in what we're doing and forget sometimes that it is our time to start making a transition out. It can be easy when we're passionate about something to keep the microphone in our sweaty palms and keep talking even when everyone has already heard everything that we have to say. 
It's easy to have a God complex when we know we're doing what God is calling us to do. It's easy to forget that we aren't God and therefore not always needed. And it can be humbling to realize that we have forgotten that God can and wants to work through others too. That sometimes God might call us to sit something out, to pass the microphone, to pass the torch, the baton, to rest for a moment. God was calling Elijah away, but it seems to me that Elijah was having a hard time prepping for that. He was having a hard time handing over to Elisha the ministry that was soon to be his. And if you're anything like me, maybe that hits home a little bit. We as a church, we've done a lot of working for things to be good. Beautiful things. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to come here and work here because of the beautiful things that this congregation does. We've been serving breakfast every Saturday morning for homeless and low-income neighbors for 30 years. We're talking about caring for the young people who sleep outside our doors through our summit building in the years to come. We've organized our delegates to best support LGBTQ folks in our denomination and have worked on our own church policies to be as welcoming as we can be. We've protested the new youth jail We've learned more about mass incarceration and how it intersects with racism in our country. Some folks in this congregation as well are partnering with Gethsemane Lutheran to support Jose Robles, who's seeking sanctuary with them at this time. We teach Sunday school. We volunteer. We work. We sing every Sunday together. Our hearts are big, and we long for God's kingdom where all is love and justice and mercy and peace. We long for things to be made right. We want people to know God's love, and these are all things we're called to. These are all good, good things. And we also have to remember that God is God, and we are not. It is not us who do these things. God is the one leading the charge, and sometimes, too, God calls us to step back, to sit, to discern, and to rest, to leave the prophesying to others for a minute. And I recently felt this call to sit out. As usual, I didn't want to leave the dance floor of life. I wanted to stay until the end and see it all through and be a part of everything, and that all of my doing, partnered with some griefs and the deaths of friends and some griefs about what was brewing in our denomination last year, made me, to no one's surprise but my own perhaps, get very sick. I got pneumonia, some of you might remember that, and there is no way to get pneumonia halfway, it is always very bad. (laughs) I was probably the sickest I've ever been, but all I wanted to do was get back into the thick of things, it's all I wanted, to see my friends and participate with what was happening in this church and in the city. It's what I wanted to do. And it was nearing a month after I came down with pneumonia that I was finally starting to feel like myself again. It took some time. And I jumped back into things full force. But it was only in going to a rally against the new youth jail being built up the road, excuse me, that I finally realized that I needed to step back and I needed to rest for a moment. This was an early morning when this happened. A bunch of faith leaders had decided to gather together. A bunch of them had chained themselves to the equipment outside of the new youth jail complex area, saying, no, we don't want this to be built. We will change this with our very bodies. And I was bearing witness to this act of protest. Those of us on the side, we were helping to lead a service. We were singing songs and praying together. 
We are reading from Luke 4, where Jesus talks of setting the captives free and bringing release for the prisoners, that that's what he came to do. We sang songs of liberation, and it was so moving. But then, then someone who knows that I'm a pastor came over to me and asked me to say something to the crowd. Many pastors and rabbis and other faith leaders had already spoken, and their words had brought me to tears. They were so true and prophetic. And I had worked as a chaplain at a juvenile detention center and did not believe that kids should be kept in cages no matter what they had done. I believed and still believed there must be better ways to make things right, and so I said yes. I said that yes, I would get up and speak on the fly about from why, from my perspective, we shouldn't be building this new youth jail. And so I stepped up to the microphone, long cord stretching to the side of the building. I had some notes on my phone and I went to look at them, but suddenly I looked around me. I saw all of the amazing activists surrounding me, people who I looked up to in the city and beyond, people who have written books and run for mayor and who lead amazing organizations. I looked behind me to the clergy who are staging this act of protest, and I suddenly felt really exhausted. What could I add to this conversation in this moment? Were my words truly needed? My body was barely well from pneumonia, and every few moments I was coughing up a lung. Why was I here in front of these people? I felt anxious, and I felt sick. And while I don't remember exactly what I said, I remember it wasn't really what was needed there in that moment. I remember giving the microphone back and walking home because I knew that I wasn't where I should be that evening, that morning. The thing is, what I was doing, it wasn't wrong. I was working for what was right. I was working for what God had placed a passion in me about. I was working with good people. However, like Elijah, perhaps in that moment, I wasn't needed. The revolution would continue without me while I stepped back to heal, while others stepped back to the microphone. I wanted to work for the thriving of the kids in the city and get rid of what would cage them. I wanted to work for the thriving of everyone, but I was sick. I wasn't able to give my best in that moment. And one thing I realized in that moment too, I want everyone to thrive, and I'm a part of everyone. I must thrive too. And this is what Elijah teaches us. We are not God. We can't do everything at all times. We are only humans after all. We can listen to the Spirit for when she tells us to work and to fight, and then we can step back when God asks that of us, when our body needs a Sabbath. That's something God asks of us, too. Perhaps this means we step back from social media for a while. It can be so exhausting. We step back from attending every event. We step back and we heal. We step back and we work to be well, because if we aren't well, how can we work for justice? And even more, God's kingdom is where everyone thrives, and we're a part of that everyone too. You are a part of that everyone. So in your life, where is God calling you to let others lead for a minute? To step back and rest a bit for your own health and wellness? To move on, even? To receive God's grace and love for you? To put down that fear of missing out for a moment and to sit with Jesus? To refocus? To discern? to Sabbath, to hand over the microphone? Where is God calling you to be an Elijah? And we could quit here, but it wouldn't be the full story. There's another character. 
And I'm actually a little partial to this one because he and I share a name. You may not know this, my full name is not Ellie, it is Elisha, and it's spelled like Elisha, this prophet in our story here. So Elisha the prophet holds a special place in my heart, so I'm not going to skip over him. So in reading this story in our text from Elisha's perspective, I imagine Elisha might have been a bit confused. He's been called by God to follow this prophet Elijah, to learn from him, to become a prophet himself, but as he seeks to learn from Elijah, his mentor, he keeps hearing from him, stay here. The Lord has called me to go minister in this other place. Stay here. Stay here. Sit down. Don't join. Be quiet. But Elisha, my favorite little rebellious prophet, he doesn't listen. He doesn't stay there. He doesn't obey. And as his mentor Elijah tries to go on without him each time, three different times, Elisha says to him, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I won't leave you. And he repeats it. I won't leave you. I won't leave you. I will not leave you. And he follows him where he goes, probably exasperating his mentor prophet to no end. I can just imagine it. The old prophet Elijah rolling his eyes and saying, fine, but you have to keep up and I'm not making you your lunch. (laughs) And Elisha, our little young and audacious prophet, he even asks Elijah for a double portion of his spirit before Elijah dies. Which probably means Elisha wants to have the fire and courage that Elijah had for telling the truth and bringing the people back to God. He is ready and he is called. He won't take no for an answer. He has hope and he is bold. When Elijah tells him to back off, to stay put, Elisha says kindly but firmly, I imagine, I will not, I will not leave you. And while sometimes we're asked to be an Elijah and hand over the microphone, maybe sometimes we're called to be an Elisha too. After weeks like this last one, maybe especially, with our denomination's annual meeting kicking out two pastors, two friends of mine, and an entire church over their beautiful work towards LGBTQ inclusion and on Pride Weekend of all things. Maybe some of you wish to call it quits with church. Hmm. I get that. To leave and to not look back when you see institutions of power do anything to keep that power and treat marginalized people poorly for what they look like or who they love. This has been a difficult week, and I've heard from many of you those things over the last couple days. But there is something very compelling about the prophet Elisha's words, something hopeful. While we need to rest, sometimes take a step back and recharge, sometimes let another lead like Elijah needed to, and those things are necessary and beautiful for us to do. We also can't give up hope We don't desert the work that we're doing all together. We too, like little rebellious Elisha, are called to listen to where the Spirit calls us and to go there with audacity. I think that sometimes while we want to sit down and refuse to follow, because things are hard, God calls us not to leave, to still show up, to keep with the good work, to remain in prayer, to remain faithful, to remember that once we were called and who God has called, God will equip and God will not leave. I think Elisha got that phrase from God. (laughs) I think that's what God says to us. I will not leave you. 
After weeks like this one, I know that many of you who call yourself a part of the covenant denomination feel like our denomination has gone a bad way. Like things feel hopeless, like we are alone and afraid. But I'd like to remind us again that death of all kinds, of hope, deaths of hope, of justice, deaths of institutions even, death does not have the final word, ever. God may work through denominations, but God is not the covenant. The covenant has no monopoly on God. God is too wild for that. <laughs> we may ache now, but we hold in our hands, in our scripture. We hold in our pews, in our hearts, a story that tells us of new life. We hold in us resurrected life, and death does not have the final say. It does not. So where are you called to be an Elisha? Where do we remember that God doesn't leave us, that death may come, but we believe in the resurrection? It's our story. Where do we hold on to hope? I think it might look something like this. In the middle of doubt and pain, we look into each other's eyes, the people in this room, others in our community. We tell each other this, I won't leave you. As we trust denominations maybe less and less or are unsure what to think about our leaders, we discern and we stick with the local good work we're doing here at First Covenant Seattle as a community, and we say to this community and to our neighbors and to our work here, I won't leave you. God has called. We won't leave you. The gospel is for all. As institutions move towards exclusion, we say to those pushed out and sent to the outside, I won't leave you. As we watch injustice happen in our nation at alarming rates too, we say to those who are dehumanized and abused, I won't leave you. And as we too get exhausted and need a break, we even say to ourselves, for we should thrive too, I won't leave you. Things may look different and things change in the future of churches. And though some things may die, we say to Christ's beloved body, the church, we say this, I won't leave you. While pieces of you may need to die, I believe in your resurrection too. I won't leave you. We aren't done. In different seasons, we may be Elijah and we may be Elisha. Maybe sometimes we're a little bit of both. And whatever our season is, may we have an ear, our ears tuned to the melody and harmonies of the Spirit, which call us and shows us the way to not leaving each other, to not leaving God, to not leaving ourselves. Amen.